Well, as Pastor Dustin said, this morning we are talking about prayer. Today is all about prayer. So it would be weird if we didn't pray before we dig into the words. So let's go to the Lord in prayer again. God, I pray that you, through your word, would speak to our minds, speak to our hearts, that you would give us a nugget of truth that would impact our lives. Father, make us a people of prayer. Make us delighting in who you are, delighting in your presence, that we would see the great privilege of it, and that we would pray more often, but also that it would just be a joy. Father, thank you that you desire, you actually want to have a relationship with us and to commune with us, to converse with us. What an awesome, amazing privilege. Let us never take it for granted. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you guys seen the social media meme that's, you know, it's been out the last few months, describe your job poorly. Have you guys seen that? Or summarize a movie plot badly. Let me, give you, let me give you some examples, and you try to see if you can figure this out. Strangers call me, I load them into a truck, I hook them up with wires and tubes, I briefly electrocute them until we reach our destination, which is a large warehouse with other broken people and fluorescent lights. What am I? EMT, ambulance driver, good, okay, next one. I bust through your front door and I spray down all your things with water, just drenching them, and usually you thank me afterwards. What am I? Firefighter. You guys are good. All right, let's switch to a movie. Here, here we go. Movie described poorly. An impulsive girl discovers a magical land where she is an annoyance to everyone she meets. That sounds like every Hallmark movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Not a fan. If you're a fan of Hallmark, God bless you. Alice in Wonderland, Alice in Wonderland. What about this one? <laughs> this one's so bad. Neglected sociopathic child tries to murder two homeless men. What is it? Home Alone. Home alone. <laughs> now what if, I'm just curious, what if we tried to describe prayer poorly? How might we do that? Prayer is bending God's ear so he gives me what I want. Prayer is venting to a supreme being who may or may not be indifferent. Prayer is informing God about things that he's, not, that he's not aware of. Prayer is using big Christian words and talking a long time to God so that he will notice me. Prayer is finding the key to unlock material blessings. Prayer is listing everything wrong in my life in hopes that something will change. The sad reality is that probably most people view prayer in one or more of these ways. Even among God's people. Sadly, that, that is how most people view prayer. And there are a whole lot of reasons that we don't pray like we should. And I would venture to say that none of us, none of in this room, none online, not a single person prays like we should. Certainly prays as much as we should. So why is that? Well, I think the biggest reason is we don't delight in prayer. And we don't delight in prayer because we have such a narrow view of it, or maybe such a narrow view of our God. Prayerlessness is telling God, hey, I, I got this. I got this, don't worry about it. You take care of the big stuff, I'll take care of the little to medium stuff. I got this, I don't really need you. Or if a church is prayerless, we don't need you. And we pray little because of how little we grasp prayer and the one to whom we pray, who hears our prayers. Listen, I, I'm gonna tell you right now, I feel like a hypocrite 
preaching the sermon I'm about to preach. Of all the people at Bethel, certainly all the people on Bethel's staff, I feel like the most unqualified person to bring a message on prayer. I literally almost talked to Pastor Steve and said, listen, do you really want me to preach on prayer? I feel so prayerless so often. There are days, can I, can I just be honest with you? Can we get real with one another? There are days where I don't want to pray. I'm a pastor. There are days I don't feel like praying. There are days I have very little to almost no prayer. Now, to be fair, there are days where I enjoy prayer and I do pray, but man, those are too few and far between. That's why I'm glad this series is called Habits of What, Church? Grace. Come on, Habits of grace. grace. Praise God for his grace. God does not merely save us by grace, although he does. He could have just saved us and let us be, but God wants us to know him by grace and grow in him by grace and delight in him more in our relationship with him by grace. That means that I'm not a finished product, you're not a finished product, we are works in progress, amen? amen. Praise God for his grace. And so we looked at a definition over the last few weeks, if you remember, look at the screens, habits of grace are God-ordained channels of his transforming power into our lives to grow our character into the likeness of Christ. He's still working on us, folks. So turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. It's before Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. It's after First and Second Chronicles and Ezra, if you're looking in your Bible. Or just, you know what, if you have a Bible app, just type Nehemiah. It's in there, and if you don't have a Bible, that's fine, it'll be up on the screens. But let me give you the context, let me set the table for you. Long story short, the Jewish people were exiled. An entire people group are kidnapped and taken to a foreign land far away by a people they don't know named the Babylonians, and then several years later, the Babylonians are conquered by the Persians. And so Nehemiah is in a city called Susa, it's this major royal city in the Persian Empire, located in what is now modern-day Iran. In fact, it's the same place where Queen Esther was years before, Queen Esther of the book, Esther. And so he's there, he's serving as cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Now what in the world is a cupbearer? Well, a cupbearer would select appropriate wines to give to the king, kind of like a sommelier in a, in a fancy restaurant. If you don't know what a sommelier, just Google it. You know, a fancy wine guy. And so he'd select appropriate wines and he would taste them and give them to the king. Sounds like a cushy, nice job. It's good to be the king, except that so many people want to kill you. And King Artaxerxes' father, Xerxes, was literally murdered by the captain of his royal bodyguard. So he is rightfully a little paranoid, and he has a cupbearer, Nehemiah, to taste the wine, not to be like, oh, is that good? But in case he gets poisoned, doesn't sound like such a good cushy job anymore, does it? And so here is Nehemiah, the cupbearer, and because he is in such close proximity to the king, he was a trusted servant of the king with direct, direct access to him. He had great influence. And spoiler alert, if you've never read the book of Nehemiah, which you really should, it's a fantastic book, he becomes this courageous national leader of the exiled Jewish people, and they go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. I feel like all the construction going on in the region takes 52 years. 
That's, this is a miracle of God. 52 days, they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Unbelievable book, you should read this. And so think of this book as Nehemiah's memoirs. If Nehemiah kept a journal, these would be his entries. So look in chapter one. Nehemiah's brother Hanani and his entourage, his compadres come and they visit Nehemiah. Nehemiah's like, hey, what, what's going on with Jerusalem? What's the deal with the people who are there? Give me a report. Verse three. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Jerusalem is broken, it's shattered, and its people, look what it says, were in great trouble and shame. For centuries, God had warned his people, do not follow other gods, do not follow idols, follow me. Don't, don't turn to false gods, false idols, but they would not listen, they would not worship God, they didn't value God as all-surpassing, they didn't delight in God, instead they drifted from God to their own demise for centuries. And so when Nehemiah hears about the smoldering heap of rubble that Jerusalem has become, he knows why. God's people had abandoned God. You know, many of you over the last several weeks have seen the footage of Afghanistan, just the atrocities committed there, the horrors, and you've watched with broken hearts, burdened hearts, Watch the horror and your heart was trembling, it was gripped, good. We should have broken hearts over wickedness that happens in our world. Listen, they didn't have YouTube back then. So Nehemiah, when he hears this report, is flat out devastated. And you look at verse four and it says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down. Quite literally in the Hebrew, it was, I fell down. I dropped to my knees. You know, the church will never be a desolate heap of rubble because the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what Jesus says, right? The body of Christ will never disintegrate, will never fade, will never disassemble, will never die, amen? But we look at the church in America and we're struggling. What if we saw the way our culture was going? What if we saw the way our world was going? What if we saw the church in America and instead of getting combative, we got repentant and we just prayed down on our knees because desperation drops you to your knees. That's what it does. See, that's what Nehemiah does. His heart is so broken for his people. He's gripped with horror and trepidation over his people. He says, and I continued Fasting and praying, I continued. His knee-jerk reaction was to drop to his knees and seek the Lord. Prayer came so naturally, so quickly to him, how can that be? I think of the, the movie Marvel Avengers in 2012. And you know the scene at the end, the Battle of New York, so you have the Avengers who are this superhero team and they're battling this horde of aliens and they're fighting and here comes Bruce Banner, whose alter ego is Incredible Hulk. 
and he rides in on a motorcycle, and he starts walking out toward this big, gruesome, alien beast monster, and as he starts walking out, Captain America goes, ah, Dr. Banner, Dr. Banner, now would be a really time for you to get angry. And what's he do? He turns around and he says, that's just it, Cap. That's my secret. I'm always angry. Nehemiah, how could you so naturally and quickly respond with prayer? How could you do that when you hear the horrors that your, your people are going through and the horrific news, the report of Jerusalem? How can you respond in prayer? That's just it. That's my secret. I'm always prayerful. Practical prayer point number one. Wow, that is a mouthful. Practical prayer point. Say that three times fast. Number one, never hang up. When we were in seminary, my wife and I were dating. And you know when you're dating, you're moosh, 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 you know, right? No, nobody else. And so we would call each other if we couldn't be together in person. And, you know, we're whispering sweet nothings. We're saying all this, you know. And we'd get in a conversation and we'd be talking, and then, you know, if there was a lull in the conversation, that's okay, we'd set the phone down, I'd get on my computer, I'd work on some homework, she'd be folding her laundry, I'd get back on the phone, oh, hey, by the way, did you hear about such and such? And then we'd talk for a little bit, and then I'd put the phone down, she's still on the other line as we do our thing, and then pick up the phone again. Now, we were on the other end, even when we were busy doing other things, we kept the line open for spontaneous conversation at any moment because we did not want to say goodbye. There was a longing for connection. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says, pray without what, church? Ceasing. That means that connection never ends. We are in a constant state of prayer because there is a God-given personal connection. And to my knowledge, now if I'm wrong, please email me, but to my knowledge, there is not a single recorded prayer in all of the Bible that ends with a valediction. A valediction is like, yours truly, or sincerely, Jared Bryant. Not a single one. Now you may say, okay, there are a lot of prayers that end in amen, but amen doesn't mean, okay, prayer's over, let's eat. Amen doesn't mean goodbye, TTYL, talk to you later. Amen means, it's a, it's a word of agreement, meaning what was just said, let it be so. Let it happen. I agree with everything that was just said. And so Nehemiah prays here because he is constantly praying. In fact, there are 14 recorded prayers from Nehemiah in his book. And they're at different levels. You know, we talked about over the last few weeks, read the Bible at different levels pray at different levels. Everything from this long formal prayer in chapter one, this recorded prayer, to chapter nine, this recorded prayer of God's people. We, we, we see even in chapter two, Nehemiah appears before King Artaxerxes and his face is sad. And the king says, Nehemiah, why the long face? What's going on? What's going on with you? And it says, and I became immediately afraid as he should be, as any of us would be, because if you made the king sad because you're sad, <clears throat> off with your head, the king doesn't wanna be sad. And it says, and I prayed to the God of heaven. I call these little arrow prayers, little one sentence like, God help me, Lord I need you. Jesus, show me your grace. Father, thank you for your kindness. God, what do I do right now? Give me the words to say, what, what do I do? Little arrow prayers. Nehemiah did this constantly. 
Big prayers, little prayers, arrow prayers. When he was taunted and ridiculed and faced opposition, what did he do? Come on now, what did he do? He prayed. When he needed strength to endure difficulty, what did he do? He prayed. When he worshiped the Lord with blessing and victory after they rebuilt the walls, what did he do? He prayed. When he would submit something to the Lord, he would say, remember me, Lord, for this, for such and such. What did he do? He prayed. And this logically leads to the second point. Prayer point number two, prayer is personal. Prayer is conversing with a person. There is a deeply relational connection with our creator. Notice what Nehemiah says. I continued praying before the God of heaven. So we need to shift our thinking of prayer from ritualistic and religious to relational. it's, It's relational. This is vital to understand for the vitality of your prayer life. Remember, there is a listening ear on the other side of your prayers. And so if you feel like, man, my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, hitting the ceiling, bouncing off the walls, they're getting nowhere, I just feel like nothing's happening, maybe you forgot the listener. He's listening. And in a society that frankly doesn't listen, isn't that beautiful to know that our maker does? Right? I mean, come on, how mind-boggling is that? The God of the universe who created billions of galaxies, each with billions of stars, stoops down to listen to every one of our prayers individually. Now, is he not an awesome God? Doesn't that just fuel your heart to pray? It should. When we understand God listens to me, the creator listens to me, it should fuel our heart to pray, fuel that fire. You know, why, why talk with my wife? If I come home from work and I sit on the couch, and she's like, hey, sweetie, how's your day? <sighs> this old thing again? I just told you yesterday how my day is. Really, you want me to tell again today how my day is? I better get real comfy on that couch, because <laughs> that's not a good relationship. That's not how relationships work. Relationships require conversation. I talk to my wife to know her more. Conversation is a privilege. And there's a crucial distinction to be known here. See, remember, the the habits of grace are a means to an end. They're a means to an end. Now, do we want spiritual fruit? Do you want spiritual fruit? Spiritual growth in your life? Good, you should, we should, but that's not the end goal. Folks, spiritual fruit, spiritual growth is not the end, it's not the goal, it's it's a means to an end, it's a byproduct. The end goal is knowing and loving Jesus, seeing and savoring Jesus, enjoying Jesus, delighting in Jesus, treasuring Jesus, that's the end goal. And so all these things are means to that end. And I used to, years ago, I used to think of these spiritual disciplines as a legalistic checklist. Well, I prayed today, check. I read my Bible today, check. I went to church today, check. I tithed, I fellowshiped, I worshiped, I shared Christ, check, 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 check. But when I had this realization that these habits of grace, these means of grace, these spiritual disciplines are a means to an end and the end is knowing Jesus more, it revolutionized how I looked at time in the word, time in prayer, time with God's people. It's a means to an end. 
And so prayer, like any habit of grace, is a means to know God more and delight in his presence. It's not a speech at God, it's a conversation with God. It's not getting stuff, prayer's not getting stuff from God, it's getting God. So enjoy him, enjoy God. Use prayer to enjoy the Lord. Because it's not much of a relationship when someone only comes to you when they need something. Like if your kid says, mom, dad, I need five bucks, I need 10 bucks, I need the keys to the car. That's not much of a relationship when you only come for something you need. A.W. Tozer said, prayer always has a danger of degenerating into a glorified gold rush. Ooh. So seek his face more than his hand. Seek his presence, seek him more than just what he can give you. Now, look at Nehemiah's prayer and notice his demeanor. Notice how he prays. Look at verse five. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Sounds like the beginning of another prayer, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Prayer point number three, always start with adoration. Praise should precede petition. Why? Why is that so crucial? Why is that important? Well, prayer rightly reorients our posture. If you get into a prayer just guns blazing with your list of demands, your needs, your wants, God, I need this, God, I need that, God, I need, you might as well just sit on his lap and treat him like Santa Claus. God, I need this, I want this, I need that. And when you pray like that, who is the prayer really about? Us, you, me, it's veiled self-centeredness, veiled self-righteousness. But when we declare how great and holy and glorious our God is, it, it shifts our perspective. This isn't flattery to inflate God's ego. God doesn't have an ego. He doesn't need flattery. This is, he's not vainglorious. This is exaltation from our realization. So when we realize how great and awesome and amazing and wonderful God is, praise and prayer should just pour out. You are God of heaven, he says. You are God of heaven. That means you are sovereign over all. And so all the minutia, all the details of my life, you are, you are all surpassing over it. You're sovereign over it. You're powerful over it. God, you are great and awesome. You are loving because you are love. You are just because you are justice. You are merciful because you are mercy. You are powerful because you are power. You are strong because you are strength. You are all these things and more. You are great, you are awesome, you are holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You keep your covenant and steadfast love with your people. Here we were on our hell-bound race in different to everything that you wanted for us, and yet you stooped down and rescued us. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and steadfast love and covenant mercy. Nehemiah got it. We remember that all is for his glory. We remember that he is holy, he's infinite in power, and so he is more than capable to respond to our prayers, which bolsters our faith. Nehemiah had the right perspective. He knew strongly who God is and who he is in him. Look at verse six. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open 
to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Prayer point number four, bow your heart. When servants would line the walls of the throne room in the palace, what was their posture? When the king or queen, when royalty, when majesty would come in, what would they do? Bow their knee and bow their head. They would bow their head because they couldn't even look up. They didn't even want to look at the king or queen. They're they're saying, I'm not even worthy to look upon majesty, so I'm gonna bow my head in submission, and I bow my knee because I'm lower than you. I'm far lower than you, and so it's a sign of humility. This is a sign of submission. We need to rightly orient our posture. Now, it, it, it drives me crazy when I hear people pray, and they're like, listen, God, Hey, uh, man, it's good to hear from you. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hit you up again. And they just, they talk to God like, like your old college roommate. And I get that God is our friend. He is, that's biblical. And I get that God is our father. That's all over the place, Old Testament and New Testament. But listen, God, Jesus is not your homeboy. Regardless of what t-shirts say, Jesus is not your homeboy. Last I checked, he's the king. And he's the king of all kings. And so we come to him with utmost reverence. Nehemiah got this. Look at what he says. He says, your servant. Eight times in this prayer alone, he uses that phrase, your servant, your servant, your servant. There's an eagerness here to serve the Lord, not to bend his will to ours. We cannot twist God's arm. We can't manipulate him. Well, God, I prayed about this. Why aren't you answering? Why aren't you responding the way I want or the way I expect? Praise God he doesn't answer our prayers the way we want or expect. Praise God for unanswered prayers sometimes, at least the way we expect them to be answered. Can you imagine? Oh, what a mess our world and our lives would be if he answered all our prayers the way we wanted them to be answered. Could it be that God is wiser than we are? Listen, Church, this is, this is not a rhetorical question. Is God wiser than we are? Is he stronger and mightier than we are? Is he bigger than we are? Is he kinder and more compassionate and benevolent than we are? Then let God be God. And let him answer the way he wants to answer, not the way we expect or want. He is the creator, we are the creations. And Nehemiah got this, his humility comes through clearly here. His answers are infinitely wiser than our prayers. And Nehemiah knew his place. He's the creator, we're the creations. He's the potter, we are the clay. And the clay has no right to say, why did you do it like this? Why did you make me like this? The clay is dependent on the potter, the creation is dependent on the creator. We are so dependent, and that's what prayer signifies we are dependent on him. Prayer places our hearts in that humble posture. Prayer point number five, pray it through. Look again what he says, verse six, I pray before you day and night. I pray before you day and night. Nehemiah prayed constantly every day for four months. And we know that because you look at the beginning of verse one and the beginning of verse two and there are four months I'm sorry, chapter one and chapter two, four months that take place. For four months, Nehemiah is praying from a heart burdened for his people. 
You get the sense that he would not stop praying until God answered one way or another. He's not one of these guys that, oh, you need prayer? Okay, I'll pray for you, and walks away and completely forgets. Now, I do that all the time. Maybe you do that. I don't know. That's why we need to, by the way, as a side note, pray for the person right then and there so you don't forget. But Nehemiah was so burdened for prayer, and he was persistent, which indicates a level of faith. He trusted God to respond. So you're not going to be persistent in prayer unless you know that God hears and responds, and then you'll pray over and over and over. Be tenacious in your prayer life. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking until the Lord answers your prayer or until he releases you from that prayer burden. So what is it that Nehemiah is constantly praying? Well, he's confessing and petitioning. Look at verse 6 again. Let your ear be attentive, your eyes open. And then he says, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you command your servant Moses. So prayer point number five, confession clears the air. To confess means to acknowledge something. It's to admit something. And so when you confess spiritually, spiritual confession is an, an acknowledgement of our sin, our rebellious attitude and actions before a holy God. Before reconciliation can happen, someone has to recognize that a problem exists. You will not get better if you have a disease until you recognize and admit you have a disease so you can get the cure. If you ignore the problem, change will never happen. And repentance is change. So if you ignore your sin, ignore the problem, repentance, change will not happen. I know this may be hard for you to believe, but I say some really stupid things to my wife. I know, you're in a moment of disbelief. I mean, I say some really dumb things. Can I at least get an amen from the men? All right, some of you are truthful. I mean, I say some... Stupid things. I almost listed a few of them just so, you know, like you could feel better about your marriage. But I decided against that. And suffice to say, when I've offended my wife with something I've said, guess what? I'm still her husband. I haven't le- lost that status, that identity as her husband. We're still married even when I say stupid things. But if I don't admit my wrongdoing, oh, things will get frosty our relationship will be rocky. So confession clears the air. Confession initiates repentance and restoration. And Nehemiah confesses his own sins and the sins of his family, but he also confesses on behalf of the sins of the people. This is called intercession, a representative prayer on behalf of others. And listen, if you have adult children who have walked away from the Lord, you get this. A faithful parent who prays for their son or daughter to return to God, to leave their life of sin and come back and repent. You get this because you're standing in the gap for your child. Nehemiah stands in the gap for his people and he identifies himself in their sin as one of them to confess their sins on behalf of them because we are all sinners and therefore we're all part of the problem. So what does this look like in our context? Confessing sins on behalf of God's people. Well, you look at the last two years, oh my goodness. Apathy, disunity, infighting, faction forming, 
gossip, idolatry, jealousy, pride. I can go on and on and on. There's so much to confess on behalf of God's people. And so we need to confess our own sins, but also the sins of his church. Confession clears the air. Look again at verse eight as he continues. He says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Prayer point number six, pray the promises. Nehemiah is quoting Deuteronomy 30 here. This covenant promise that the Lord gave to Moses and to his people saying, I know that my people are gonna drift from me. I know they're gonna turn away from me. I know they're gonna be disobedient. I know they're gonna be idolatrous, but when they return, I will forgive. When God's people repent, he will always forgive and restore. That's a promise. Is that a good promise, church? And it's one of hundreds, thousands in the Bible. It's a promise. And Nehemiah confessed their sins because he knew God would forgive. And he knew God would forgive because he knew the scriptures. This is another reason you need to steep in the word of God, saturating your mind how you think, saturating your heart how you feel with his truth. So pray God's truth, pray God's words back to him. In particular, pray through the promises of God. Not, not, again, not to manipulate God, not to twist his arm into giving you what you want. This practice is actually quite the opposite. It shapes your mind, it shapes your heart through his word to want what he wants, to delight in him. I struggle with fear. It's one of my biggest struggles, this indwelling sin within me. I wrestle with it so much. And I remember years ago, I memorized Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So what would that look like to pray through that verse, to pray through that promise? God, I am struggling with fear. I'm riddled with it, but I know I'm not to fear it because you are with me. Your presence is with me. And your presence, your love, dispels fear. So I won't be dismayed for you are my God, you're my God, I belong to you, I am your adopted child, the adopted child of the king. And so, thank you, Lord, that you strengthen me, you up, uphold me, you help me by your righteous right hand because you are righteous and therefore you make me righteous. Do you see how that works? You pray the words of God back to him, which we're gonna do in a moment. And finally, to finish his prayer, verse 11. Nehemiah says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delighted to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Prayer point number seven, lastly, lay it all out before the Lord. In Isaiah 34, there's this story of King Hezekiah who was a king of Judah years earlier. And the Assyrian army is coming against Jerusalem, against the Jewish people, and they are laying siege to the city, and they're mocking the people, they're mocking God, and they write this horrible, threatening letter. And King Hezekiah takes this letter, this scroll, and he rolls it out before God, and he gets on his knees, and he just prays. Here it is, God. 
And I love that visual, I love that image, just laying it all out there. Here it is, God, here's what I'm dealing with, here's the stuff that's going on in my life, do something about this, because I can't. In prayer, there is a point of petition, so just lay it all out before God in honesty, in humility, in faith. Nehemiah is praying for boldness, he's praying for favor with the king to make an audacious request to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild Jerusalem, which King Artaxerxes put a stop to years earlier. So he, again, by making this request, could be killed. This is an audacious request. And so Nehemiah realizes that to go before the Persian king, I need to appeal to a higher king. Warren Wearsby says, prayer is not bothering God, bargaining with God, borrowing from God, or burdening God. True prayer is blessing the Father because we love him, we trust him, and we know that he will meet our needs, so we come and ask. We lay it all out before God. Just lay it all out in truth, saying, God, I got nothing. You have everything. I need you. Simply put, we heard bad definitions of prayer earlier. Prayer is this. Prayer is communing and connecting with God. You know, we have two little girls. And when our, when our little daughters were learning to talk, Sky and I weren't like, you know, laughing at them, belittling them. Oh, that's such baby talk. Come on, can't you really talk? We didn't mock them. We cheered them on. We delighted in it because we delighted in them. We enjoyed the fact that they were trying to talk to us, and we encouraged them, and we helped them. We wanted it. God is our perfect father. And it's amazing to me that not only does he hear our prayers, not only does he respond to them, but he delights in them. So if you feel inexperienced or inept in your prayer life, first of all, join the club. But know that it's okay. God just wants you. He just wants us. That's incredible. Prayer is a privilege, a blood-bought privilege. Jesus died so we can reconnect with God. You remember the old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus? All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. What needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. 